frictionless means that things are working so that you don't need to make any contacts with companies for the stuff you don't want to talk to them about. And the companies can move along with what they're doing without having to interrupt their costs and their schedules to have to tell you, oh, here's how you do it. So it's an ethos. It's a concept that says, let's make sure that things do work well and you don't need to contact us. Helping you create loyal customers and loyal employees all through the power of simplicity. This is the Simple Brand Podcast, now heard around the world, including Maple Shade, New Jersey. I'm your host, Matt Lyles, and this week I'm talking with Bill Price. Bill was the first global vice president of customer service for Amazon. Today, he's the founder and president of Driva Solutions, where they've helped over 160 companies create highly effective customer contact strategies and operations. And Bill's the co-author of three best-selling customer experience books, including his latest, The Frictionless Organization. Deliver great customer experiences with less effort. Listen, if you know me, then you know I believe one of the best ways to simplify your customer experience and make it simple for customers to do business with you is to remove any of the friction throughout your customer experience. Basically, when your customer feels frustrated, stressed, or even angry, that's friction. And I'm sure you've felt that way at some point as a customer, so you don't want your customers to feel that way when they're interacting with your brand. Bill and I discuss his lessons around seeking, finding, and eliminating all that friction that can happen in your customer experience. And more importantly, we discuss how to proactively ensure that that friction doesn't get into the customer experience in the first place. So here it is. Here's my interview with Bill Price. Hi, Bill. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. I am too. Yeah, this is exciting. I want to talk about early in your career because you helped shape Amazon's customer service team. And I don't know how accurate this quote is, but Jeff Bezos is quoted as saying, the best service is if the customer doesn't need to call you, doesn't need to talk to you, it just works. So can you talk to me about that mindset and tying that to customer experience? Now, very happy to. When Jeff formed the company, uh, and you can see it in some of the early writings back in 96, 97, yeah. he figured out how are we going to make this company as Amazon, this new beast that's not going to actually be in front of customers. We're not going to have retail stores. That was the idea. How are we going to make sure it has great customer experience? He actually conceived of that from the very beginning. And his whole thought process was, we want to make things really simple and they need to work well. Simple and work well. And those are easy to say, but hard to pull off. So when he interviewed me for the job a couple of years later, early 99, he asked me for my philosophy for running customer service. And I used the term that is actually the title of my first book, The Best Service is No Service. And he said, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That kind of summarized it in one sentence, because we don't want to have customers have to interrupt what they're doing have to contact us. Things need to be simple and they need to work well. Yeah. And I don't know if that's possible to get to that uh, 100%, mm -hmm. but to be able to have that as the goal can help drive all the decisions and all the actions that you create that craft that customer experience. 
you know, for example, a very quick example is uh, that the woman who was running web development at that time when I joined the company had been a librarian. She was not an IT wonk. She had IT professionals reporting to her and very, very good you know, web developers, HTML, et cetera, et cetera. But she was a librarian and Jeff hired her partly so she would make sure this would be an easy to understand website. And still today, the Amazon website wins all sorts of awards for its simplicity. Yeah, it's easy to understand. You don't get overwhelmed. Oh, absolutely. And with the number of steps that it even takes to be able to find what you're looking for, review what you're looking for, and then purchase what you're looking for. And I, I, I don't know if this is the exact right number or not, but I think, am I right that when Apple created iTunes, they had to pay Amazon, I think, a million dollars just to be able to use that one-click experience to purchase music. Well, the one-click was patented by Amazon, and it was it was kind of joked about for a long time until everyone realized this is really powerful. This one-click is really powerful. That's probably the number. I'm not sure what the exact number is, but the thing is that that's also part of the simplicity come up with ways that make it easy to buy something, easy to search, easy to return, easy to, and today, repurchase. If you're on Amazon today, there'll be a reminder saying, do you want to buy this product again? You know, it might be a recurring type product, not necessarily the same book again, but if you bought some dog treats or if you bought something else that Amazon realizes is a repeat purchase, they say, hey, you want to buy this again? And I usually go, yep, sure, I'll do that. Yeah, someone that I know last week was what was pretty sick. They were they were battling like whatever cold was coming around, and I wanted to make a recommendation to them on a couple of things that that I thought that they should get. And one of those was this kind of clove throat spray that I had mm. purchased that I used a lot proactively when I traveled a lot in my previous role. And so I searched on it on Amazon thinking I knew the right brand name and I got it right. And then it showed me, you purchased this in <laughs> August of 2018. Do you want to buy it right. again? It's like, that's amazing. <laughs> there you go. Love that. It's not easy to do what you just described or what I was describing earlier, but as you mentioned earlier, if that's part of your goal, and if you set it as an objective and then you reinforce it, then it becomes much more of the DNA of the company. Everyone starts reacting that way. And I really like how you said that becomes the DNA of the company because mm-hmm. everyone, no matter what your functional area is, no matter what your role is, should be able to take that overall objective and apply that as a filter for everything that you do. Everything that you right. do for customer-facing experiences, everything that you do that may impact the customer experience, mm-hmm. but then also everything that you do that that interacts with each right. and other employees. Yep, yep, yep. If we have a moment, I'll give you a quick yeah, background. Sure. Years ago, I was doing some other consulting work this way before Amazon, and we researched what was going on with it in Hewlett Packard, HP. This is before HP got really huge. Okay. And in the early days, Hewlett and Packard wanted to make sure that what they put in place would be a long-term company, a lasting company. And so employees and managers would often say to themselves, what would Bill and Dave do? What would Bill and Dave say? So the idea was to, I'll say, inculcate it without making that negative, put it into the DNA of what would our two founders be doing at this point in time with this decision, with this issue. And so I think any lasting company uh, today, as well, 70 years ago, has that as part of their DNA. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, like that's what helps create stronger cultures, more engaged cultures by having that clarity to know what to do. But today I want to talk about 
the frictionless organization. So before we even get into digging into that, can you share with me, like, what is your definition of a frictionless organization? Sure. Let me start by saying what is friction, and then we can basically create the opposite, which is being frictionless. So friction is what happens when you wind up having to figure out, is this product going to arrive on time? Or why they haven't gotten back to me as promised? Or where do I search for such and such? I can't, the website is so confusing. I can't figure this out right now. Or uh, I need to return something. Oh my gosh, I can't find the return button. So all these examples and many, many more that we talk about in the book are examples of friction, interruptions to your schedule, interruptions to your routine. And so the concept of frictionless is kind of like air. It's what you know, it's, it's around you, but it's hard to put your arms around unless you see smoke in the air that then you realize that air is bad. But frictionless means that things are working so that you don't need to make any contacts with companies for the stuff you don't want to talk to them about. And the companies can move along with what they're doing without having to interrupt their costs and their schedules to have to tell you, oh, here's how you do it. So it's an ethos. It's a concept that says, let's make sure that things do work well and you don't need to contact us. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's hard to recognize and know exactly where it is, but you can easily see the effect. So if your customer is confused, if your customer's frustrated or stressed or angry, then they like would get worse and worse here. And so that those are all the results of them experiencing right. friction. And and you hear the voice, Matt. You hear them say things like, Why can't I do this? Or you did not get back to me. What we've done in the book and other books we've written is when you see contractions, when customers give you the contractions, but they actually tell you what's going on. Why can't I do this? I cannot do this. What they're saying is I want to do this and you are preventing me from doing it. And, and clearly it, the frustration is the high pitch of their language. Like I'm really upset with you about this or why did this happen? Or Expressions like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and all of us as consumers have probably said some of these expressions with different organizations over the years because we're like, well, wait a minute, you got to be kidding me. Why do I have to fill this out again? I've already done this online. Now you want me to do it again. And so there are examples after examples. And, and we, we talk about in the book how to measure them by looking at the rate of contacts, the number of these assisted contacts by the total number of customers or the total number of orders shipped or the total number of invoices that you have out there. So we talk about this CPX metric a lot, which is what is the rate of contacts, the cost of them as well, but what is the rate of contacts divided by you know, some denominator that gives you some sort of a norm and normalization. And if that number is going up, that's not good. If it's going down, at least directionally, you're moving where you ought to be going. You ought to be, you're going towards that frictionless state. Yeah, yeah. And, and hopefully... It's trending downward because you're doing the right things. You're doing the right things. You're doing yeah. the right things. Yeah. And what we specifically talk about is when you break down all of the reasons and you start looking at one by one, some of those reasons are good reasons. Like, hey, tell me more about whether this product is going to work for me. Or, hey, I want to learn about this new product I just read about online. But most of the reasons that we've come across, most of the companies that we interviewed told us that most of their reasons are ones that really ought to be eliminated or they ought to be digitized and automated, that they don't really need to have a live person deal with it. You could use a chatbot, you could use something else on the digital world, but in many cases, you just eliminate them because they're the sources of deep frustration, but some are good. So we're not talking about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. When you get down to the reason level, some of those reasons are ones you want to keep. 
Of course. And we can dig into these a little further because I love how all of your chapters follow a verb title, you know, eliminate, (laughs) digitize. And I think one of the things too is to be able to teach customers too. Like sometimes you may say, well, our customers are coming to us with these questions. Yes. What if we proactively answered those questions with content that they can see? And then that there too cuts down on any of our calls coming in. Absolutely. There are two forms of proactivity, which I think are great examples here, Matt. One is if you know something that your customers don't know yet, just let them know. Don't keep it secret. Don't wait for them to figure it out and go, wait a minute, now what's going on? The airlines figured that out years ago when they knew that there were going to be flight delays or flight cancellations. So they said, well, Matt, you know, I know you're getting ready to go from X to Y today, but uh, sorry, but you know, there's bad weather and, you know, en route. And so we're going to be an hour late, but don't worry, your connection's fine. Okay. Great. You get that message. You're feeling good. You got a little more time to go to the airport and you're feeling good. You don't want to go to the airport and find out that it's late and you're going to miss your connection. Yeah. The other way to educate customers is when they actually do talk to you. When they're talking with you, whether talking to someone in a retail store or a call center or some other location, then you say, ah, you know, the next time you deal with, you have this issue, we've got this great tool on our website that can help you out. So have a little bit of that education. So there's the proactive, we call it preempt. And then there's the education too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when customers are educated and when customers have additional knowledge, I believe they feel like they're in a bit more, uh, in a, they have a bit more power in their role. Yes. 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 And, and I think we all, we all feel like we need to be in control. It's, it's that lack of control that is friction. The fact that we're in control is equivalent to the frictionless. I agree with you. That's really good. Well, So, Bill, what would you say to any leaders who say, well, our industry is different. Our industry is complicated, and it may include some of these things that you call friction. That's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. I would say, think again, in in politest of terms, or if I know them well, maybe not quite so polite terms, which is if you really think that friction is part of the way of doing things, Take a look at how other organizations around you are dealing with similar situations, including, we call them uh, innovators in the book, companies that might be nipping at your heels with a more elegant or simpler solution than yours. We talk about a a tax software company out of uh, Australia, New Zealand called Xero, spelled X-E-R-O. They're kind of like a next generation Intuit, which in turn was a disruptor in its day. Intuit was, still is. But Zero doesn't have any inbound phone channels. They put every all their customers through a a, uh, a portal, which works really well for them. And then if you can't get what you want in the portal, then you register online and then an expert calls you back in two hours. Well, organizations that say, well, we always have to have an inbound channel. You know, that's always there. And there's always going to be four sources of friction. Well, now you get this company that's beginning to pioneer something completely different and customers love it. The business customers love it. They prefer to do that. So I would say to those executives who say, oh, you know, our business is different. It's more complicated. We have, we have HIPAA rules. We've got this, we got that. Well, your customers don't really care what those rules are. They just want things to work right. And so you better be on your guard because someone may take that business away from you. It's very possible that within the industry today, all the main players operate in the same way with the same friction-filled experience. And they may all say, okay, all our competitors offer this and and we're all okay with it. Exactly. And, And a disruptor hasn't come along yet, but 
somebody is going to come along to disrupt your business and right. disrupt your industry. Well, it may as well be you. And 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 I, I like what you said there, which is a lot of these companies look around at their direct peers and say, well, we're all like that. We may be a little bit better. We might be a little bit worse. We're all like that. But customers don't, don't care that you're in the insurance business or the this business or that business. If they just had, and we talk about it in the book, is something called last contact benchmarking, which means if they just had a really good experience with, let's say Amazon again, or let's say Federal Express, whoever it is, you hear it in their voice. They actually say it to you, which is, why can't I return this as easily as I can return it with such and such? Or why can't I search it like I can search where my product is on FedEx? I just click on that button and it tells me where it is. Even though the company that they're talking to might be in a completely different industry, they're using their own personal preferences and saying, here's where, they're basically saying, here's where I want you to be for me. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about like all the different um, questions that customers ask that point out right. where friction is. And one of the questions too, I think is kind of like uh, that, that parent that may, you know, compare their children against each other. Like, why can't you be more like this brand? <laughs> why can't you be more like, right. I, I don't care what industry you're in, but why can't you be more like the Domino's pizza tracker? Well, and think about it. If you're a marketeer, product developer, marketeer in that company, don't you think that would be valuable information for you to find out that your customers are streaming verbally, streaming this information to someone in your organization, but it's probably not getting to you. So you're doing focus groups or you're spending money on interviews when in fact, or you're scouring secondary information when in fact, your some of your customers are happy to tell you throughout their conversations what they really want and need. It's very, very valuable. So we call that part of the learn the action verbs you talked about, the next last chapter is called learn. Let's learn from our customers and, right. and, and change the way we do things because of that. Yeah. Well, and when we think about, I think, customer service, a lot of companies are asking how they can make it easier for their customers to contact them to solve customer service issues and how they can make it easier for their customer service reps to solve the issues. Right. I'm curious, are there better questions that brands and companies should be asking first, even before that? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, what you said is perfectly valid and very, very important. I'll put it this way. When the customer navigates through whatever they have to navigate through, an app, a chat bot, an IVR, whatever, they finally talk to someone, then you better make sure that that's a great experience and the issue gets resolved. But the questions I would ask is, why did they have to contact us in the first place? Yeah. Why was that even set up in the first place? And then the secondary question is, why couldn't some sort of an upstream automated function that's already in place deal with it before it got to us? And most organizations don't know that customers try to chat bot and then they place a call or that they check something on a portal or on a website and eventually send a chat message or an email. Those systems are usually disconnected, right? silently disconnected. And so when you don't know that, you as a company are at a disadvantage and your customers know what's going on more than you do. And that's frustrating for them. What do you mean? And you hear it. Well, don't you realize that I was on your website and check that out and it wasn't easy to figure out or if the link was broken or whatever, and now I'm talking to you. And unfortunately, most customer service reps say, no, I don't know that. You know, please have to tell me again. And anytime you have to repeat something, it's a problem. So I would say the real question is why? Why did they have to contact us and why didn't, any sort of upstream uh, device, let's say a chatbot or a portal or a website, why didn't it catch it? Why didn't that work out? I read a stat recently. I think it's 
around 84% of customers that have a customer service related issue go to the company's website or app first. Right. So therefore, when they call that customer service number, that call the 800 number and the customer service rep starts with, how can I help you today? I know. I mean, statistically speaking, you should already just start the conversation with something along the lines of, I understand that that you're trying to solve a problem and I'd like to help you with the next steps of solving it, even if they don't know what the problem was, instead of starting with, how can I help you? And there, there are some great software, AI-based software yeah. uh, and, and other types of software that, that are enabling companies to be able to do that today so that the agent is teed up almost like a little whisper sometimes. It says, uh, hey, this customer was on the website checking out the, the comparative price tool that we have. That might be why they're talking to us. And rather than saying, hi, how can I help you? I mean, that, that's a classic opening line that unfortunately falls flat today. Yeah. And everyone wants to feel... Uh, feel valued, feel appreciated. Mm -hmm. And if somebody answers the phone with, hi, I see that you are in the process of doing this, then already you feel like as a customer, you would feel understood and valued. Oh, you know what? They totally get me. They understand who I, they understand who I am and what I'm trying to do. We have a really good interview and quote, a result of an interview and a quote in the book with the head of customer service for United Airlines, Brian Stoller. And he, he was saying that when they figured out that a large percentage of their passengers and customers were calling them while simultaneously they were still online, they were able to feed that back to their web development teams who up to that time had said, where's the effect of, oh, our website can contain them and they don't need to contact you for help. Well, that was not the case. So with actual evidence, it enabled those two channels, the, the, the automated channel done by the IT team and support channel that he ran to be able to come together and say, let's make sure we have much more context, why they have to contact us at all. Like what Chip and Dan, he's talking about being able to go upstream and solve the problem yes. there. Yes. Yes. Well, something you wrote in the book, th- this really stood out to me. And I heard you say to be frictionless is actually demonstrating respect. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how would you explain that to any leader to help them realize the value of making the experience frictionless and demonstrating yeah. respect in that manner? I'm glad you picked that up. I think one definition of respect would be time. None of us has yeah. enough time. Yeah. And so we certainly don't want to do what my my co-author is the one who has the, the great cartoonist that we have in the book. And when David Jaffe worked with that cartoonist, we had one in one of our previous books that said, Nancy went to sleep at night, setting her alarm. So she was so eager to talk to her utility company the next morning. Well, no, she wasn't. I mean, clearly not. (laughs) And and so we want to give back time. And if we can do that as an industry, as professionals, as leaders, as, as pundits, and say, let's just make it so that your customers don't have to interrupt what they're doing to contact us for help. So we talk with Blizzard Entertainment, for example, where some of their gamers in some of their multiplayer games used to have to, in the middle of the game, they had, a, they had a problem. They'd have to then send a chat message or make a phone call and kind of interrupt their play. Now they can actually submit their issues while they're playing in the right. game and, and not interrupt what they're doing. Well, that, that, that's respect. That says we're going to respect where you are and where you want to be. That's one of the best gifts that you can give your customer is give them the gift of getting their time back or helping them to save time. 
Save time. Yeah. And, and, and the other one is save money. So save time and save money. Th- those are two forms of respect. And I think that they go hand in glove with each other. But the idea of, of saving money is often things like, well, we're going to give you an automated refund. You don't have to even worry about coming back here because we know we, we messed up or there's a better price right now. So you have companies that have significant promotion policies and price matching is a big deal. How long do we price match? Uh, should we price match up to $10 or whatever? And, and if organizations would say, well, we're just going to give you an automatic price match within two weeks after you make the purchase, it'll go right back to your card. Where customers feel respect like that, like, like then you don't have to make me go through hoops to figure out, you know, do I have a receipt or was it was it 10 days or two weeks? So time and money, I think, are the two you know classic ones to, to do to, to improve respect. Yeah. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to you as the leader or you as the person orchestrating and creating the customer experience for your company. What would it feel like to you if you had to do business with your company? That, that I think puts a finger right on it. And, and, and then I'll go one step further, which is, are you actually experiencing what your customers are experiencing? Right. Are you going through the same IVR tree? Do you have to come in and figure out how to re-register because the website forgot who you were and you've got to come in and, and enter your information again? Uh, do you get subjected to, hi, how can I help you sort of things when you wind up talking? I mean, many executives don't do that anymore. They, they either have someone do it for them or they just they just don't bother with it anymore. But direct experience is so important. Um, I, I recently learned at T-Mobile, the company we talk about in the book, as a good example of being frictionless. And T-Mobile has a great policy where every year, every director and above has to spend one week in a retail store working in the retail store, no matter what your job function is. It's not, not just customer service and retail folks, but if you're in IT, if you're in finance, if you're in product marketing, you have to spend a week in the retail stores. I mean, what a great opportunity to figure out what it's really like to be a customer, maybe even for products that you design or for communications that you wrote. So the idea is just to get out there and to try to experience it. And I like that idea of one week because it's not one hour or listening in on one customer service call, like it's going through a whole week to understand all the different types of interactions, all the different types of questions. And I like how it's, um, it's from everywhere, everyone or every functional area, even those areas that may not be creating customer facing materials or customer facing experiences. So somebody in finance and accounting, if they're in a store, in the span of one week, they may have contact with some customers who would end up having questions about billing and invoices where they would say, oh, oh, I see oh, what yeah. our team is doing here now. It's, it, that firsthand experience, Matt, is invaluable. I mean, it, we could do anything as consultants or advisors or writers, the idea is, or podcasters, the idea is <laughs> just, are you really experiencing what your customers are and how would you feel if you were treated that way? Yeah, uh, and and it it really is an eye opener. It really is. And then beyond just you know your own company, I mean, of course, most everybody deals with all kinds of different customer experiences and customer interactions every day. I would also say, if a leader were to experience extremely poor customer experience or right. experience some sort of friction where they're dealing with a company and they're saying like, why? You know, they're asking one of those questions. Why can't I do this? Why does it have to be this way? When you experience that, stop for a moment, write down that experience, and then go back to the team and say, okay, I just had this bad experience over here. Yep. yep. Does that happen at 
all throughout any part of our customer experience. Yep. Yep. I, I think that's a good one. I, I have not thought about that. So now I'm adding that to my list. Thank you. There you go. Hooray. <laughs> learn every day. Yeah. Happy to help. <laughs> well, as we get further and further into time, I mean, there's so much, there's so many technological advances. There's more and more thought of companies investing in technology, investing in AI, investing in self-service options to help solve customer service problems. So how do you see technology, that, how do you see that technology drive tying to becoming frictionless? The technology is expanding almost exponentially, like you know, tenfold improvements in, in quality and, and insightfulness and so forth. Challenge is figuring out what technology makes sense for us right now. Are we able to do it? So, for example, a lot of companies flock to these AI-enabled chatbots uh, yeah. in front of a customer service call. But they did it, many of those companies did it without having solid enough knowledge that those chatbots could draw from in order to render an answer to the customer. In other words, the knowledge base was weak or not updated or hard to search or hard to access. And so we we know of examples of companies that just abandoned the chatbot process because their own systems weren't ready to receive the, the power of the technology in front of it. So this has to be matched. This has to be mixed and matched, whether it's AI-based or not, in order to work. And one test of it is what percentage of customers that tried to get an answer in a portal or a chatbot or some other function, some other self-service function, what percentage actually succeeded in getting it done? And, and you hear examples of companies say, well, we have a 20% success rate, a 20% containment rate, which is 20% is better than zero. Yeah. But we flip it around and say, that's an 80% failure rate. Right. That says that 80% of your customers who tried to get that function did not get it. And so if you're lucky, they're going to call you up or send you a chat message or an email. If you're not lucky, they're going to go, forget about it. Yeah. yeah. That bye-bye. bye-bye. And so 20% is not nearly enough. But a lot of com- some companies don't even know how to measure that. Sometimes it's called containment rate. It's equivalent to first contact resolution in a call center, which should be, and usually is very high. Usually it's in the 70s or 80%. But right. 20%, uh-uh. it's got to be much better than that. Well, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and you talk about this in your book, you talk about the need for companies to preempt throughout the book. So mm-hmm. what's the value behind preemptive actions and communications? I think the biggest value about preemptive is that your customers feel comfortable, that they don't have to bother themselves to to, uh, do some research or contact you. And the other benefit is trust. There's a trust that, hey, you're looking out for me. You're looking out for me. So when an Amazon says that your product is going to arrive between four o'clock and six o'clock tonight, uh, you you feel good. And then arrives at 4.15 and you feel, wow, that really did work well. If it came at two o'clock and you weren't there, you, you'll be upset. If it comes the next day, you'll be upset. So the preempt just gives you, when it works, gives you reassurance and allows you to go, okay, good. I, I just saw that message. I'm just going to move on and I, I don't have to worry about that. I can maybe worry about other things, but not about that. And then from the company point of view, the real value is then they don't have to gird themselves for the onslaught of customers who contact them and say, why didn't this happen? It basically is a way to hold up a protective shield around their own company. But the main benefit is to make sure customers don't have to do that extra work. One of the lessons that I learned early on in my career was with your leadership, there should be no surprises. (laughs) Don't let them learn about something going wrong from somebody else 
right. before, right. you know, before you've had the chance to communicate it to them. And I see right. that as being the same way. Like customers can get really frustrated and angry if they're right. surprised with a negative situation. Well, and, and I'll give you an example without naming the company, but I'll talk about as a concept because it's a real, real good one as an example, which is I was speaking to a, a large group of independent retailers who were supporting this particular company's products. And I talked about preempt. And so one of the retailers came up to me after and said, I really was inspired by that because I called my manager back home and said, I want you to contact every one of our customers who bought this particular product because we know that it's going to have to come in to get repaired at some point. We just know it. Okay. As opposed to waiting for them to come in. Right. And, and his manager said, well, boss, that's going to take a long time you know, to get a hold of people and the schedule. He goes, good, we'll start right now. Get it going right now. So that's a case where they knew that there was going to be a good possibility, maybe a probability of an issue that was going to result in a in a repair or something to get fixed. So let's instead of waiting for it, let's just go out and do that. Let's go out and reach re- reach out to them. Now the auto industry has to do it because of various federal laws, you know, recalls. Of course. But yeah. until the recall laws were put in place, the, the the auto industry was kind of the same way. Like, hey, you know, if you have this problem with your brake, come on in, you know, <laughs> come on in. Well, no. There's a brake problem that could affect you. Come on in. You have to come in. It's it's a mandatory recall. So having that mentality in more routine areas, again, reassures customers. I think about the level of trust among consumers and corporate entities. And, you know, trust really isn't that high today, but it's like what you were saying earlier, when you get a proactive communication about that, especially around something that may be negative, you know, then, then I, as a consumer would, would think to myself, Hey, you know what? They really are looking out for me. I think I do trust them a little more now. Yep. 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 Yeah. In fact, I, I love the word trust. And and I just I just did a quick little search there, making sure I knew the right name of it. Over in the UK and now some other markets, there's a centralized website called Trustpilot, where customers are able to enter their satisfaction or dissatisfaction with something around a cup company trust or trusting whether the company is doing the right thing for them. Oh, wow. And it's very revealing. Uh, they give very stars and scores like you see with other rating services. But the idea is all about trust, Trustpilot. And, and, uh, it's, it's an app as well as a website, but the idea is, is so important to, to, to emphasize is if you can't earn and hold on to the trust of your customers, they're going to be gone sooner or later. Yeah, absolutely. Trust is what builds loyalty and loyalty is what builds retention. And we all want right. customer retention. Right. We do. We do. So. When we've talked about eliminating friction, most of the things we've talked about feel like it's been around reacting to where friction occurs and going somewhere to solve that. So I'm curious, is there a way for brands to proactively plan on how they'll be frictionless instead of simply reacting to where their main customer service issues are? Well, if I get your angle or your drift, if, if, if companies pilot and test things out beforehand, in in a protected environment where they get feedback from a customer base and able to spot problems. That would make it really, really successful. We we talk about Vodafone in the book quite a bit. And Vodafone has a policy in, in some of their markets where they actually test the invoice, especially if there's a new feature or line in the invoice. They test the invoice before they send them out to their customer base so that they, they actually don't want to wait for their customers to find that there was a misaligned column or some data didn't get in there 
or various balances didn't compare correctly from the front page to the last page, that sort of thing. And they told me that they catch things every so often, not very often. That's after the, the, the billing team does its own testing. They have a customer service team within that organization that tests it as well. Very few companies bother to do that. They may do a pretty good job on the billing team doing the testing. Customer service kind of doesn't get involved. And all of a sudden, customers, customer service might get hit with these issues coming in from the customers. So classic ones like, why is my bill so high? I disagree with this bill. Uh, why am I being charged for this still? Those types of questions in the customer's language are typically findable. They're discoverable earlier on in the process by an organization by testing them out. So I think I think testing testing and learn. Test and learn is kind of the new buzzword, but test and learn uh, before you actually submit it to your customers. I love the idea of testing and learning, but I also like what you just talked about with uh, with Vodafone about involving other parties who have some sort of tie to that right. change or who have some sort of insight or knowledge to how that change might be received. And those individuals could have worked in billing before and now they're in customer service or maybe they're in IT and they used to be in billing or they're in finance and they used to be in customer service. So a lot of organizations do shift their managers around. They've got internal transfers and promotions. But even if that's not the case, a different set of eyes can look at it and say, hmm, why is this this case? I, I don't understand this. And, and if I don't understand it and I'm working in the company, then I think our customers are probably going to be even more frustrated by it. Of course, frustrated and confused. Exactly. So do you think that brands can reach that point to where their customer experience is finally, truly frictionless and they're just done? Um, no, they can't get to that state right away because two things. First of all, customer expectations are continuing to increase. Uh, yeah. Customers want more and more things to be done simply or easily or for them. But secondly, we tend to make products, unfortunately, a little more complicated. New AI features, new apps, new Bluetooth enabled, uh, such and such, when it used to be simpler before. And so we, as, as product developers and creators, wind up making things a little more complicated. And then customers want to have a higher bar or a lower threshold, lower tolerance for problems. So it, it's, it's an ongoing quest. So we talk about becoming frictionless. And then we say towards the end of the book, you got to keep at it. You have to redesign. You've got to redesign. That's the last verb chapter. You have to redesign what you're doing because if you don't redesign, then someone else is going to do it to you. So basically keep reinventing and keep simplifying. If you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And it right. could either be in your industry or it could be even outside of your industry where now all of a sudden exactly. this company exactly. provides an experience that customers expect everywhere. Well, and and I we talk about Tesla a lot in the book. I, I'm I'm a I'm a Tesla owner, so I, I have some personal experience in it. But I mean, Tesla came in and just disrupted that industry in the beginning. The the the, the tried and true uh, uh, manufacturers and retailers uh, de dealers said, "Oh, this isn't going to work." I mean, no one's going to want to buy directly from this company. They're going to want to come in and kick the tires and talk to us and negotiate with us behind a you know behind the walls and. You know, no, they don't. We don't. A lot of us don't. We want things to be really simple. And Tesla has sold lots and lots of cars and set up a new industry and the EV technology, which is just part of it. But because they, they've made that purchase experience so different and so easy compared to what it used to be. And even now, the maintenance side of it is incredibly easy. At one fifteen in the morning, every two or three weeks, Tesla upgrades the, the firmware, as they call it, in my car. 
And so I haven't taken my car into the shop in two years. Don't need to. It just, it just works. So that is a case of a company in the same industry, but coming about it, coming about it with a very, very different point of view, a very different angle on what to do. Yeah. And now, you know, customers are saying either, either Tesla owners or people that are friends with and know Tesla owners are saying to, to other car companies, why can't you do it like exactly. Tesla? Exactly. Yeah. And there's a term for it now too called the Teslafication, which yeah. says Teslafication is, is kind of like, uh, uh, the, the new buzzword that I've been reading about, and it's kind of a fun one, but Teslafication includes why do we have to have these dealers in between us? Why can't we just go direct to customers? And, and, and there are some, there are good reasons for dealers. So truck, truck bikes, for example, wanted to go direct. They wanted to sell their bikes direct to their consumers, but they were selling through retailers and independent uh, dealers. So they came up with a program that said, we want to have customers be able to configure their bike online, buy it online, pay for it online, but we, Trek, will deliver it to you, Mr. Dealer. You'll be able to take it out of the box, put it together, test it out, make sure everything works right, make sure the brakes work, and then you will be able to contact the customer and then you'll have a relationship with them. So it actually augmented the dealer relationship. But other companies are saying, we don't want to have to work through dealers. We will work directly with you as a company. Trek has worked out, worked out really well. Other companies have not figured that out. So I think that most companies need to look at, companies look at other examples outside their industry to find out how disruption is occurring. It's so important. Yeah, yeah it, it, it really is important. And you're going to find lots of ways to really uh, maybe even leapfrog your direct competitors if you look at the customer experience outside of your own industry. Great. Well, so I'm curious, when it comes to uh, leaders who are over customer experience, what are some habits and values that these leaders should embrace to ensure that they can eliminate and even prevent friction in their customer experience? Well, we talked about one a little bit earlier. It's, it's well worth uh, repeating, which is deal with your customers directly. Find out what is yep. going on directly. Don't just read reports. Don't just look at net promoter score or customer effort score or CSET numbers and say, okay, everything's working well. Go out there and figure out what's going on. That's number one. Number two is to look at what we call the entire range of answers or the range of survey responses and not just the averages. The averages lie, the averages hide what are really some deep detractors, which are the folks that give you a zero, one, or two for net promoter score, or the ones that give you very poor responses on customer sat or responsiveness or resolution. So look at those tails, look at the long tails and figure out what to do about that. That's number two. And number three is do this constant why. Why are we doing this? And if you get answers like, well, we've always done it that way, or uh, we, we have, we have uh, uh, you know, guidelines that we that we set up before or there are rules and regulations we have to follow and then you gotta go well why do we really have to do that can't, can't we find some other way to deal with this that that doesn't run afoul of any regulation but makes it easier for our customers so the leaders who have direct experience who dig beyond the averages and then who constantly ask why uh, intellectual curiosity is is part of it but it's also just one of, of breaking things down breaking things down into the details like that. I think those are good examples of becoming a good frictionless enterprise leader. Well, last question for you. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for the frictionless organization, what songs would you include? Well, I think this is a fun thing to talk about. So I I, I have uh, song titles, okay? Uh, because some of the lyrics may not fit exactly right to the theme, but the song titles I really like a lot. 
And I'll go back uh, to some of the ones. I, I think the negative example is uh, Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark. I think, unfortunately, a lot of companies are dancing in the dark. Wow. They have really no idea what's going on. And so you got you to come out from that and figure out what's going on. Love and Bruce. so one way to do that is to say, um, help. The Beatles, help. Yep. You know, and, and customers are saying that with their frustration. They're saying, help. You know, I, I don't know what to do about this one. Yeah. Uh, we talk about the idea of having owners and bringing different functions together in the organization. So I'll stay with the Beatles and talk about all together now and come together. Both, uh, of yes, both of those are, are reinforcements of, and you know, let's, let's all bring this back together again. And then the Beatles, once again, tell me why, tell me why. And, and if, if an executive can say that, you know, a customer can say that, why, why are you doing this to me? So tell me why. And I think I've probably gone beyond your five, but the last one I'll finish with is, is going back to the stones. I can't get no satisfaction. And so if a customer says I can't get no satisfaction, then they're just going to go somewhere else. I could go on and on because I love music, lyrics, and songs too. But uh, those are five, six or something uh, that maybe we could start with here. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you for playing along. And I love hearing those songs there. Well, Bill, I've learned a lot from the book. I've learned a lot from our discussion today, but where can people go to learn more? Uh, my co-author David Jaffe and I have set up a, a book and author website called frictionlessorg.com. And we're going to be loading up uh, different podcasts, different interviews, new stories uh, that didn't make it into the book. And we wrote the book back uh, last year, it came out in June. Uh, so lots of new examples we, we have in there about good and bad stories. You can catch up on frictionlessorg.com. Love that. And, and love being able to access and read all the new stories that have happened even since the book was written. Right. Right. Well, Bill, thank you so much for your time today. I'm really grateful for your lessons. Matt, appreciate it. I love going through this with you and and, and clearly you're, you're a fan and a student of customer experience. And let's see if we can uh, rate that bar together. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Bill Price. So go and pick up a copy of his book, The Frictionless Organization. It'll give you an even deeper dive into lessons we discussed in this episode so that you can learn how to seek, find, and eliminate the friction in your brand's customer experience. And it'll help you figure out how to go upstream and proactively ensure that that friction doesn't get into the customer experience in the first place. You can go and learn even more from Bill at frictionlessorg.com. Bill and David give you even more bonus content and stories that didn't even make it into the book. And hey, if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Carmine Gallo. Carmine's a keynote speaker, a Harvard instructor, and a CEO communication coach known for transforming leaders into powerful storytellers and communicators. And Carmine's the best-selling author of 10... 10 communication-related books, including Talk Like Ted, The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs, and The Storyteller's Secret. Carmine's coming onto the show to talk about his latest book, The Bezos Blueprint, Communication Secrets of the World's Greatest Salesman. Hey, that book releases next week. Carmine and I discuss his lessons around the communication strategies that Jeff Bezos pioneered to elevate the way that Amazonians write, collaborate, innovate, pitch, and present. And if you instill these lessons, you'll be able to exponentially sharpen your communication skills and help fuel astonishing growth in your team. So go ahead and subscribe. 
you'll automatically get Carmine's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Simple.